0: Si tienes ciertas afecciones crónicas como enfermedad cardíaca, asma, diabetes y tienes 19 años o más, 52, 36, 42. Pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita prevenar20enespañol.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre prevnar 20
1: Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the next level soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free masterclasses between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these masterclasses are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best-selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul master classes, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Now, today's guest is one of the most inspirational figures we've had on the show. We have best-selling author Neil Donald Walsh, who is the writer of the amazing book series Conversations with God. Neil has sold over 15 million copies of his book and has helped to spread a message of love, compassion, and awakening to millions and millions and millions of people around the world. Neil and I have a beautiful conversation about how he was able to get out of the darkest place in his life to write conversations with God. His new book, The God Solution The Power of Pure Love. And so much more. And as a bonus, I have teamed up with Neil to give you a free masterclass presented by Neil called The Path Towards Self-Awakening. If you want to get access to it, all you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash Neil. That's nextlevelsoul.com forward slash N-E-A-L-E. So without any further ado, let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show Neil Donald Walsh. How are you doing, Neil?
2: No, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I hope you are as well.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is such a treat. I've I've been a fan of yours for a while. I've not only read obviously your books, but I watched your the film in your life, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And you know, it, your story so inspiring and so interesting to say the least. Can you tell everybody um, how you got started on your spiritual journey, which was not a straight arrow if i'm if i understand correctly
2: oh no no it wasn't um yeah well that's a huge question how i got started on my spiritual journey was i was born fair enough and uh and then i was then i was started on my spiritual journey now in the context that i think you mean Mm -hmm. i i was started on my spiritual journey when i was around seven seven or eight and i don't mean that facetiously i really mean that because i was raised in a Roman Catholic family, not a strict, not a strict religious environment, but um, Catholic environment nonetheless, and I was sent to a a Catholic elementary school, and there I was told all about God, as, Mm -hmm. as Catholics understand God to be. The sisters in the school told me all about God, and right and wrong, and all the rest, and I began to have a huge interest. I thought, well, this is fascinating. There's this great big, you know, being in the sky i mean, i'm seven years old I'm, I'm hearing all of this and um then i was told about venial sin and mortal sin and going to hell and going to purgatory and the whole uh the whole process that the religion that some religions teach us each in their own way incidentally by the way as an aside there are 4200 religions on the face of the earth right now which most people don't really know but that's an actual count i didn't make the number up google it just type into Google how many religions are there on the earth, and they'll tell you over 4,200 religions. So this is not a small thing. And depending on what religion you're born into, you will step into your own spiritual journey in a particular way. So my spiritual journey began when I was around seven years old. Uh, and, but I began questioning uh, some of the things I was told. And, uh, and then finally, as I got a little older, I set aside... What I had been told, and just dropped the whole idea because I I couldn't believe that what I had been told was true. Specifically, I couldn't believe that God would punish us for some of the with everlasting damnation no less right. for some of the things that God uh, that I that I was told that God punished us for. Uh, so I set aside that whole thing, and, and but then I kept on coming back to it, uh, Alex, over and over again. I would read a book here and there, hear a speaker or whatever, and back and forth I went. I, I started uh, attending uh, other churches, uh, churches of other religious denominations, but still in the Christian um, uh, tradition, if you will. And then I began even to step outside of that tradition. I attended some services at some uh, Jewish uh, synagogues and some temples, and uh, you know, I, I started exploring other religious traditions. So you've asked a pretty big question but, you know, how, when did your spiritual journey begin? Uh, but the answers that came to me that brought my spiritual journey toward a conclusion, concluding in the sense that I was no longer searching, uh, those answers came to me when I had my conversations with God. And that was uh, about 27 years ago or so, when I was uh, in my um, early uh, uh, 60s. In my late fifties, I've lost track exactly, but I had my first conversation with God. And what what started that? Just to make a long story even longer. By the way, you'll discover that you don't want to ask me thirty second questions because if you ask me a thirty second question, I'll give you a thirty minute answer. Fair enough. <laughs> but but this is where it gets interesting, uh, Alex. Um, my life fell apart. Oh. When I was around 49 years old or so uh, my relationship with my then significant other who's still a significant person in my life now my ex-wife uh ended and she asked me to to leave which i said okay i would uh then uh and by the way i hadn't done anything horrible we didn't have an affair i didn't have nothing going on like that we simply weren't making it i wasn't we weren't getting along So she said, you know, I'm not having any fun anymore. How about if we just don't don't be together? Okay. But then, Alex, within five days, I lost my job. I was uh, let go. I was downsized in the corporate uh, wording. Uh, I was the last person hired. So I was the first person to leave. I had no seniority as they were trying to cut expenses in the corporation that I worked for. So now I'm out of work and out of a relationship all within the same five day period. But wait a minute. That wasn't enough. God said, let's give him the triple whammy. So I'm driving down the road, looking for work, actually. And an old guy in his car decides to turn ahead of me. He's an 89-year-old man. God bless him. And he admitted afterward he had made a terrible mistake. It was, uh, he agreed, the police agreed, everyone agreed it was his fault. He turned, he made a left turn right in front of me, smashed into my car pretty badly and uh, I, was, I, I sustained a broken neck. I mean, as soon as it happened, I heard it. I heard that, oh, oh my God, I, I, I thought that can't be good. And, the, the, of course, the ambulance came. They rushed me to the hospital, and they saw that I had a broken neck and not a hairline fracture. They're, I was told I had a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly. Alex, that's a break in your neck large enough to put a pencil through so the doctor said to me, you know, when I came to, you have no right to be alive. Most people who suffer that large of a fracture in their neck, especially at that seven cervical vertebrae uh, uh, position, almost always suffer p- spinal cord complications and almost always die. And if not die, if they don't die, they, they, they certainly are paralyzed. He said, you've, you've escaped both outcomes. It's a miracle. He looked me straight in the eye. He said... So what are you gonna do with the rest of your life? Because my friend, you've been given a huge gift today. You shouldn't wow. even be here. Wow. That stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. But I couldn't find work anywhere. I was told to wear a Philadelphia collar, I had a therapeutic device, one of those large plastic collars. And because the doctor said, imagine a, a basketball, being being, being held held up by a pin. That's what's going on with your neck right now. So you are not to take off this collar for any reason. You wear 24 hours, not even to sleep in, shower in. You keep the collar on at all times. Now, I'm trying to find a job, Alex. No one will hire me because as soon as I walked in, they saw me as one guy was finally uh, honest enough to say, you know, he said, you know, Mr. Walsh, you're a walking insurance claim.
3: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: Make one wrong move. And we can see as you're badly injured, you make one wrong move. And we're paying your, 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 your medical bills for the rest of your life. You know, we, we can't do that. I couldn't find work anywhere. I wound up finally being um, ejected you know, from my apartment. You know, I, I, and and uh, I wound up living on the sidewalk, living on the street, not for a couple of bad weeks or a couple of bad months. But for an entire year of my life, I'm living on the sidewalk, sleeping on the ground. My ex-wife did, was kind enough to give me my tent, our camping tent, but that was it. That kept me out of the rain, fair enough, but didn't keep me out of the cold, not very warm in a tent. Mm -hmm. And I'm lying on the ground, and I'm sleeping on the ground, and I'm walking the streets during the day with my hand out to people, anything would help, anything. I remember one guy even said to me, he said, you know, I just all I have is a couple of quarters in my pocket right now. I happen to I just spent the last cash I've got. I got some loose change. I said, "You know what? If everybody I asked today gave me a couple of quarters, I could actually have a hamburger and some french fries before the day was out. Please, even a couple of quarters." He said, "Okay, pal, here it is." And that's how I lived for a year, walking the streets, asking for money no place to even go to the bathroom. You want to talk about losing your dignity. I had nowhere to go to the bathroom. I was try, I tried to sneak in restaurants, you know, sleep in, you know, slip in to the bathroom as fast as I could and slip out of there. But I was caught by the manager of, of, of one of those restaurants, even one time. She stopped me at the front door. She said, no, please, please, no. No, no, no homeless people. Because at that point, I was on the street six months. My hair is down to the middle of my back. I don't smell very good. I don't look very good. I mean, I'm, you know, I got one pair of jeans, two shirts, a pair of shoes, and that's it. That's my earthly possessions. So I walk into this restaurant and she stops me. She happened to be at the front door. She said, no, 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 please. No street people. This is a lovely restaurant. I said, I really, really, really need to use the bathroom. I swear, I swear in and out. I'll be in and out. You won't even know I was there. She just rolled her eyes. All right, whatever. I had to beg my way into the bathroom. Wow. Because, of course, they knew you weren't going to spend any money in there. So I've learned how to deal with that experience of the loss of everything. I wasn't able to see my children. Where, where could I take them? I was homeless. Mm-hmm. So my, my wife didn't stop me from seeing the kids. But I, you know, and, oh, I forgot to tell you, <laughs> my car was stolen. Obviously. Yeah.
3: Obviously.
2: And I'm not making this story up. My car was stolen right off the street where I had parked it. And so I went to the police and they said, w- w- When did you miss it? I said, Yeah, I, last night. I mean, they said, Last night. This is the first time you're saying anything to us. He said, That car's been parted out by now doesn't even exist in one piece anymore. So, man. So I'm on foot. I'm lying on the ground. I'm living in a tent. And I have no money at all. Not a a nickel. I spent all the money I could spend to try to get through life. And my savings were all gone. So that's my story. Now, I found a little part-time job. And I got it. It was a weekend job. Two days a week I could work. It was a weekend fill-in. At a local radio station, I got a job. I had just enough money from that two days a week job to get a little, you know, place to live—tiny little, tiny little garage kind of an apartment in the back of somebody's house that they turned into a uh, turned into a little bachelor pad. And there I hung out. And that's when I woke up, Alex, in the middle of the night. Now, by the way, I'm not a young man. <clears throat> this is not going on when I'm 25, 35, or even 45. As I said, I'm, you know, I'm almost 50 at this point, and I, I wake up in the middle of the night at 4.30 in the morning, and I'm crying out in my mind, all right, all right, all right. What does it take to make life work? What have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? And somebody tell me the rules. Yeah, I'll play. I will play this stupid game. Just give me the rule book. Come on. And once you give me the rules, don't change them. Because the rules of life are changing every other week. What's so? What does it take to make life work? And Alex, I began hearing like there was a voice in the room. Answers in my head. And they were so fascinating, I started writing them down on a yellow legal pad. And I started asking questions on the yellow legal pad. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. I kept it. Written record because it was so fascinating to me the experience I was having at 4:30 in the morning when I got up out of this fit of anger that I was experiencing, and I'm I'm experiencing this question-answer process. So I'm thinking, wow, this is fascinating, and I'm I'm really feeling better, and tears are rolling down my face because it was making me feel so good, frankly. And this went on for several weeks. This whole process that I've just described, and. Then I was told, in this process, you will make up this one day a book, and it will be read by many people. And I thought, oh yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> I could just imagine <laughs> I'm going to send my middle of the night mental meanderings to a publisher who's going to say, stop the presses. We got a guy here who's talking to God. <laughs>
1: On of paper, it's, uh, it sounds like a fantastic
2: pitch. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it's not going to happen. I knew it wasn't a chance in the world. But in fact, one of the five publishers that I sent it to, a small publishing house on the East Coast, then a small publishing house, now a fairly big one, thank you very much, um, they published it. And uh, I called it Conversations with God. And uh, and the book, yeah. They didn't want to call it, by the way. They, 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 first of all, they wanted to publish it as a work of fiction. They thought it was a great fictional story. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going there. This is not a fictional story. This is actually happening in my life. They said, yeah, yeah, but, but nobody's going to believe it. I said, you know what? Then don't publish it. It's because it's not a work of fiction, and I will not have it represented as a work of fiction. They said, well, okay, can we, can we at least change the title because no one's going to conversations with God? I mean, Really? I said, no, we're not changing the title either. We're going to call it that or you're not going to publish it. A nonfiction book called Conversations with God. The point of which I said to the publisher, in case you haven't read the material, is that we're all having conversations with God all the time. We're simply calling it something else. Women's intuition, a moment of inspiration, an epiphany, you know, whatever, whatever we can get away with, nobody would call it, but I'm calling it conversations with God because that's exactly what it was. He said, Well, it's not going to sell very many copies with that kind of a title because people are going to find themselves pushed back from that. I said, Well, then it won't, then it won't, then don't put it out. He said, Okay, okay, relax, relax. We're going to put out a few thousand copies. And he was right. It didn't sell you know very many copies. Only 15 million in 37 languages. In every country of the world. So you go figure it. So I began to listen carefully to what I was being told, because I was told, you will make of this one day a book, and it will be read by many people. So I started very seriously looking at this, experiences, this experience that I was having. And the experience, by the way, didn't stop. It didn't stop simply because I sent, you know, a a bunch of pages to a publisher. It was ongoing in my life. So, excuse me. So I continued uh, to keep track of what I was, I want to say, receiving in this way. And that resulted in eight more Conversations with God books. Called by different titles. Some were called Friendship with God, Communion with God, The New Revelations. Uh, but there were nine dialogue books that ultimately moved through me and that were placed into the marketplace of ideas. Since then, uh, I've written altogether 39 books, nine of which were conversations, dialogues, and the other 30 books were extrapolating and expanding and exploring the messages in those nine dialogue books. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Sorry, you asked?
1: Not at all. Not at all. It's a, fa- it's a fascinating story. And it, it was such a fascinating story that it was turned into a movie that uh, I've watched multiple times over the course of my life. And I just have to ask you, when someone
3: came to you and like, we want to make a movie out of your life story. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show
1: what was that like what was it like the process and what was it like seeing your life being portrayed on screen I mean was it surreal Surreal,
2: yeah surreal yeah. is the word we both said the word at the same time because that's exactly what it was utterly surreal first of all uh, it, it was made into a movie by um, a person I had come to know before the offer was made um, the, the books had been out for a while and had been read by a lot of people all over the world, uh, and some people were, you know, fairly well known. Uh, and you know, Robin Williams read it, loved it, and you know, Charlie Bird. Read, I mean, a bunch of bunches of people whose names we all know, and they they had read the book. So I was invited to a, I was invited to the premiere uh, of a of a movie called What Dreams May Come, in which Robin was one one of the stars. One of my favorite
1: movies of all time. I love that movie.
2: Yeah, and so I was invited to to that uh, premiere by the uh, director and producer of the film, uh, a man named Stephen Simon. So I I, uh, was invited there, and Stephen and I became friends. We just kind of became, we were just acquaintances at at first. We kind of hit it off really well together, and we became good friends. So I had this really nice, nice friend down there in Hollywood. And then one day, about a year and a half later, he called me, and he said, you know what? We'd like to make a movie of your life. I said, "You're kidding me." He said, "No, no, I wouldn't kid about a thing like that. We'd, we'd like to make a movie of your whole life and this whole experience you've had." I said, "Wow, well, come on up. Let's talk about it." So he flew up to where I was living and where I still live in southern Oregon, a small city called Ashland. And he flew up and we sat down and talked about it for about three or four days. And he he brought with him a screenwriter, and the screenwriter sat down with me and. Listen to my old story that I just explained to you, but he asked many, many, many questions, got lots of details about my life. And by golly, he went down back down to Hollywood and produced a screenplay. And uh, they made the movie. And then I was invited to go watch the, the premiere of the movie. Now, I'm not attending the premiere. I'm watching the movie of my life on a big Cinemascope, you know, movie screen. And it was surreal. I'm in the back of the room. No, I didn't want anyone to know who I was, so I'm way in the back of the room, in the dark, dark of the theater, watching this movie of my life, and it was totally, totally surreal. But they did a wonderful job. <laughs> uh, the screenwriter did a terrific job capturing all I had shared with him, uh, and the director, Stephen, he directed the film himself. He produced and directed it. He had done many other movies. What uh, you know, he had done What Dreams May Come. He had done Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He was well-known in Hollywood, but he made this movie. And he did a terrific job with it, I thought, and really captured uh, the essence of my experience.
1: It was a fantastic film. I've, got, I've gone back to it multiple times in my life because it's just such an, your story is so inspirational. And, and when you feel that you've, you're going through a bad time, you go back and you watch something like your life story, and you're like, well, maybe I'm not having that bad of a time. because (laughs) because your experience as you so eloquently put it was just you you hit the bottom I mean there was they took everything almost everything from you almost just and just gave you just enough to keep keep going just enough to keep keep walking a little bit here and there you know what kept you going that year when you were homeless like what got you up other than just pure survival i mean mentally i think think at
2: first it was anger Uh i was just angry at life and anger is an interesting uh, energy it can actually you know motivate you and move you forward but then after the anger subsided after you know three or four months i thought well whatever i guess this is and i really thought this is what my life was going to be for the rest of my life i honestly i could see no way back because no one would hire me And, oh, oh, what's interesting is the insurance company would not pay. They were haggling with me. They agreed. The driver agreed. The police report said everyone, there was no disagreement that it was the driver's fault, the other driver's fault. But his insurance company was, you know, which insurance companies sometimes do, haggling with me because they saw that there was, you know, I broke my neck. I was out of work. I couldn't get a job. They were looking at a huge, huge award, and they didn't want to pay the award. So they had an adjuster working with me. And he would not come to an agreement, no matter what I uh, suggested to him. So it took two years for them to come to an agreement with me on what they felt that the accident should pay off in terms of insurance benefits to me. In the meantime, I had no way of, uh, no way of earning a living. So I got through that year with anger at first, at both that it happened, the, the system, you know, the insurance company, and the whole, the whole way the world worked. But then I finally, you know what, Alex, I finally just thought, okay, I'm just, I'm going to be here for a long time. I'm going to be a street person. I'm going to live the great American nightmare. I'm going to be outside living in a tent. Thank God at least I have that. And that's it. And I I finally relaxed into kind of a benign acceptance. I'm a street person. You know, I smell terrible. It, I, I can't even afford, you know, the dollar and a quarter to take a public shower. I mean, okay, that's how it is. And I, and I allowed myself to just step into that and stop resisting it.
1: But all the time still looking for a way out, like a job, something to get you out of the circumstance that you After
2: a been. while, I even almost gave up on that. I really, I really did think toward the end. You know, after this was going on now for 9, 10, 11 months, I thought, okay, you know, till the insurance company pays off, I'm going to be out here, right? And and who knows when that's going to be? So so and they and the insurance company, they they got wind of the fact they knew I was you know now on the street. So they were of course now they're really lowballing me because they realized that if they gave me if they gave me five bucks, I'd be happy. So, so, so the worse condition I was in, the, the less they wanted to give me as an award for this terrible accident. So that's how the economic system works. I totally get it. I understand it, but so I'm, I'm out there and I finally even gave up trying to get a job. I, re, I had been told no by one too many people. And I thought, okay, I'm just gonna be going hand to mouth, asking people, you know, and I, I see people now, of course, all over the place with the same message on their little cardboard sign. When I get off, when I get off the freeway, and there they are at the top of the uh, exit ramp, or maybe next to the grocery store in town, anything helps. And when I see a sign that somebody has got hold is holding up on cardboard, anything helps. Believe me, I know that's not—they're not kidding. I I know experientially that's not a sales pitch. That's absolutely what's true for that person. So. I make sure, and I invite everybody who's listening to me right now to do the same thing. Never leave the house with a couple of $5 bills or a couple of tens in your pocket. I mean, loosely in your pocket, that you can reach in and grab quickly. And when you see a person on the street asking for help, a man or a woman, just ask it for some assistance.
4: Try to avoid making a judgment. Mm-hmm.
2: Try all you can to not go into your mind and, he's just going to use it to buy some drugs, or alcohol, or blah, blah, blah. You know what? Maybe he will buy a bottle of alcohol to help him get through the day. But it's not your place, in my humble view, to decide what's best for him. He's asking you for some help. So I always make sure I have a 5 or a 10 or even a 20 loose in my pocket. And when I encounter a person like that, reach in and grab it and give it one or two of those to that person. And I do and they look at me and they say, thank you so much. Thank you. I go, hey, you know what, been there done that. I know exactly what you're going through.
1: And I heard you once talk about the incredible formula of getting out of any bad space. Which is, I think, a little bit about what you're talking about now. Can you kind of delve into that a little bit?
2: I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> the incredible, the incredible formula of getting out of space is by helping. If you're in a bad space, oh, or you can oh, get helping someone else. Yeah, Right, yeah, so, With, so which much has in, the same formula.
2: Yes. forgive me, folks. there've been you know 39 books, and he's asked me to pull one particular line out of it. But <laughs> but now I now that I know what, what he's referring to, yeah. I was told in conversations with God, whatever you want to experience, whether it's get out of a bad space or whatever else you want to experience in your life, be the cause of another person experiencing that same thing.
3: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: You want to experience more abundance in your life? Cause another to... Experience more abundance than theirs. Want to experience more humor in your life, more love in your life, more companionship in your life? Cause another to experience those things in their life. Want to experience getting out of a bad spot? Help another person get out of a bad spot. Be the source. Here's what God said to me Neil, I don't want you to be the seeker anymore. It's not your place to be a seeker. Be the source in the life of another of that which you were seeking for yourself. And as you do that, you will experience that you already have it to give. That it was there all along. It's a magic formula that's really incredible, and it works, by the way, every time. So I've decided to be the source of that which I choose to experience in my own life. Or to put it another way, as some guy said a few years ago when he was walking around the planet, he said,
4: do unto others. As you would have it done unto you. Pretty quite simple. He was a pretty
1: interesting guy, that guy.
2: <laughs> I have found him interesting for sure. <laughs> to, and to quite a bit it. different from what I thought that what I thought was true about him mm. uh, when I was hearing about him at the age of nine. When I was nine years old, the priest came into my classroom. They came in once a week every Wednesday for catechism, which is a fancy word meaning the teachings of the doctrines and the dogmas of the church. And the priest came in and told us in third grade, children, you have to remember to go to mass on Sunday. Because if you miss mass without a good excuse, you know, if you're caring for a sick parent or, you know, fair enough, or if you're an adult and you have to go to work, okay. But if you don't have a good excuse, just decide not to go to mass. If you should get hit by a car, God forbid, on Monday, and die, you will be sent to hell. Yeah. For everlasting damnation. Because missing Mass is a mortal sin. Not a venial sin. Not a spiritual misdemeanor. A mortal sin. You, and I thought, what? Why? And as it happened, Alex, that was the very week that I did miss Mass. I was I was going to mass almost every Sunday. I was a really devout young little lad, but you know that was the weekend that we had our big playground World Series, the World Series of playgrounds. It was our playground against the playground across town, and we were having a little softball game. And it was the big the big tournament game, and I had to I I had to go. I wanted I was in the game, and I wanted to go. So I thought, well, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll miss mass this. And, of course, that would be the week he came in and told us this. Now, that's through the fear of God into me. If you don't think that I was racing to get to confession, because he did allow that if I was confessing my sin and I was given absolution, that I would be, you know, I I would be erased from that sentence. But if I didn't get, so I'm, I'm, I'm racing to confession because he's telling me this. I'm nine years old. And and of course, they don't have confessions in my parish except on Saturday. So I had to live through the rest of Wednesday, the rest of Thursday, the rest of Friday, and all Saturday morning. I'm not not exaggerating, I'm I'm petrified. If you don't think that'll make you look both ways as you're crossing the street, you know, and I thought, God forbid, God forbid. And I'm saying the old prayer that I was taught as a child. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I was afraid to go to sleep for fear something would happen to me, and I didn't have a chance to go to confession yet, to relieve myself of the awful sin of missing mass one Sunday in my life. Now, folks, You may be listening to this, you may say, well, Neil, Neil's exaggerating. Or they might say, well, fair enough, Neil, but that was back in the 50s. Things aren't that way anymore. You think not? Mm. Check it out. Check it out. I checked it out just a few months ago. I wanted to check to see what the Roman Catholic Church's teaching was on this day of our life in the year 2022. And the teaching hasn't changed. Missing church on Sunday is a mortal sin payable by death and i mean payable after death by hell and damnation for
1: eternity so you can kill somebody and miss church and they're both semi-equal as far as severity
2: unless you go to confession and and the priest you're solid you're solid or maybe in the old days give enough money to the church because then you could get a, you know, an absolution. You you could get, you know, (laughs) but this is the God, you know, and I don't want to make Catholics mad at me. This is the God that we've been taught about by many of the world's religions. Mm -hmm. A God who is judgmental, condemning and punishing. It's as simple as that.
1: Well, I never, I was raised Catholic too, Neil. And I, I never, I even had those questions. I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Even when I was a young man, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. You mean, I can sin all I want on Friday night, but then Saturday morning I can go and get, I tell somebody my sins and you're all good after I tell a couple of Hail Marys and our fathers. I'm like, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me even back then. And then you just start digging into it, critical thinking about these ideas. Just like, how can in one hand, the God that you're talking about love you eternally? But God forbid, if you don't, you know, you step out of line, he will throw you in hell for the rest of eternity.
2: Yeah. I love if, you. If.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. like, it's, it was so, it didn't make any sense to me. So that's why I kind of eventually started to go away from organized religion and started to experiment and start reading and started looking at all sorts of spiritual teachings and religions in the Eastern philosophies and uh, and uh, and just trying to figure it all out until I found my path as well. And that's why I do this show, and this is why I try to put this kind of energy out into the world.
2: You know and what? And Alex, honestly, I could be wrong about all of this. I don't need anyone to believe me or yeah. to accept you know what I'm saying any more than they would believe or accept what the priest says. right we We all have to find our own way to God. But my understanding is that God rejects no one because, she has no reason to, she has, she has no need to.
1: It it makes no, like if I have, I have kids, I would, I would never do anything. I wouldn't just because they talk back to me or break one of my rules. I'm not going to throw them into hell for the rest of their or, or excommunicate them. Like that makes no sense. So even just the love of a father or a mother to a child is, is eternal. How could God,
2: how could God, and, you know, and, and beyond that, how could God even be hurt, offended, injured, damaged, angered, or frustrated in any way? If God really is all that is, the all power in the universe, the almighty power, what in the world would cause God to be so offended because you missed church on Sunday to send you to hell? For But of course, it's not true. The church used it as a, a, a tool, just, you know, fear to keep, so that, to keep the pews filled with people. Well, of so, course. Because you know, if, you you, if you're a good person, you're a God fearing man. I'm a God fearing man. And and so it no you sense. Know, hello.
1: Yeah, it makes you, it makes it makes no sense. Which I wanted to talk to you about your new book, The God Solution. Um, how did this come to be and what's the what do you want this book to to do and help the world with?
2: Well, I'm inviting people to create a new definition of God. The God Solution is my answer to the God Dilemma. The book starts by, claim, by, by uh, declaring what the God Dilemma is. The God Dilemma, as I see it, is, you know, if, if there really is a God, and 8 out of 10 people believe there is some kind of higher power, if there really is a higher power, then why is the world such a mess? Why doesn't God just come down here and fix it, make everything better? And so I began thinking about that. And uh, I I began rereading what I was told in Conversations with God. And I wound up with a deep desire to put all of that into one book, to create what I call the culmination, literally the the apotheosis of the uh, Conversations with God body of work. So I sat down and just wrote in about four and a half or five weeks that book called The God Solution. And I offered the possibility that there is a solution to the God dilemma. And the solution is this. Number one, why doesn't God just come down and fix everything? Because it's not God's desire to simply create a civilization of minions who simply do what she asks for, what she demands, and then he'll make everything better. That wasn't God's intention. God's intention was to, in fact, imbue all of God's creations, all of its dissension beings in the universe
3: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show
2: in this case every human being on the planet earth and all sentient beings throughout the cosmos to imbue each of us with the ability to create our own reality to produce the outcomes that we chose to produce so when i ask god well why don't you just just fix everything God says to me, well, why don't you just fix everything? And I said, no, 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 you're the one who's supposed to do it. You're the one who has the power to do it. And God says to me, no, 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 no. you're the one who's supposed to do it. You're the one who has the power to do it. And I'm but, but God, you're the one who has the answers, the ability to change everything. God says, Neil, you you guys are the one who have the answers, the ability to change everything. So I got that. God is giving all of us, that is, the entire civilization, and each of its members, free will to produce the outcomes we wish to produce. Now, here's where the screw turns. Here's where the problem can be solved. If we change our definition of God, we then change the underlying ethic, the moral foundation that produces our interactions and our behaviors with each other. So long as we imagine that God is judgmental, condemning, and punishing, we will be judgmental, condemning, and punishing with others. But if we decide that, you know, we've got it wrong. Actually, that's not the definition of God. God is not a judging, condemning, punishing deity. Now, the God solution, therefore, is to create a new definition of God. And the book offers a definition of God, a highly complex topic, in two words. Perfect love. Pure love. God is pure love. Now, Alex, when I, when I give this little talk in front of an audience, there's always a guy in the back of the room inevitably who will stand up and say, "Oh, Neil, 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 Neil. come on. I've been listening to you for 20 minutes to have you tell me the great revelation of all time. God is love. I said, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't say that. You didn't hear me say God is love. You heard me say God is pure love
4: all right, what's the difference? The difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in
2: return. Now, if we can embrace what is, in fact, a theologically revolutionary idea, an idea that runs counter to the teachings of almost all of the 4,000 religions on the earth. But if we can be idea heroes, and actually be heroic enough to say, you know what? That's really the definition of God, the most accurate definition of God I ever heard. If we can do that, we will create a new ethical infrastructure, a new ethical foundation for all of our human interactions for our political interactions, our economic interactions, our social interactions, and yes, our spiritual interactions, will then come from a place where we say, you know what? I need, require, demand, and expect nothing in return.
4: Now, we can no longer use
2: God's behavior with us as our justification for the way we behave with other people. Suddenly, when we say I love you to someone else, it means something entirely different. It no longer means I love you if. It no longer means that if I get back what I assume I'm going to get back if I love you, then I'll continue loving you. But if I don't get back from you, what I assume I'll get back from you for my giving you my love, then the deal's off. We no longer have trade deals like we have with, company, with the nations. Nations have trade deals with nations. Sometimes companies have trade deals with other companies. We no longer have trade deals. And I had to stop looking for that perfect Valentine's Day card because I never really found one that said what I really wanted to say when I was 29. My dearest, my darling, my sweetheart, I trade you very much. And I'll never stop trading you. I'll be (laughs) trading you until the end of time. But if you stop trading me, if I don't get from you what I'm supposed to get from you for what I've been giving you, the deal is off. Because we have here a trade deal. And I thought you understood that. Now, we can say to our beloved,
4: you know what? I want, need, require, and certainly demand.
2: Nothing from you in return, that my bliss is in experiencing the flow of love from me to you. If I am experiencing the bliss of flowing love to you to get love back from you, then I'm not loving you. I'm simply loving me and using you as a tool, as a vehicle for me to experience love. That's not love at all. That's self-serving behavior. So we then pull the rug out from other institutions, com- countries, organizations, people, political parties, nationalities, you know, economic stature. We, we pull the rug of justification out from under all the interactions, or at least the largest number of them, the dysfunctional interactions that we see between people on earth. Because most of our interactions are based on, hey, you know what? You're okay with me if, if. But if you don't do what I tell you to do, and if you don't agree with my point of view about something, like if we even have a geographical disagreement on where the border between our countries should be, I will blow you to pieces. I will drop bombs on your cities, in your schools, in your churches, in your concert halls. I will destroy you. If you don't do what I think you should do. We have a disagreement, but you know what? I'm more powerful than you, so I get to be right. After all, you've heard you've heard it said before, and it's true. Might is right. And that's what we've learned from our God. And in this case, I will be acting like God.
1: <laughs> it's very, very uh, apropos for what's going on in today's world.
2: Hello. Oh, wait a minute. No, Neil, you pulled that example out of thin air.
1: (laughs) Nope. That's literally what's happening right now. And it's, you know, when with what's happening in the Ukraine, I always thought that that was like, you know, okay, we're not, we're beyond this point now. We're not going to be doing. Not
2: only in the Ukraine, but in grocery stores in Buffalo, New York. Absolutely. In elementary schools, in Uvalde, Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. What are we doing? What are we doing with each other and to each other?
1: So what can we do to stop this destructive path, to change our course?
2: The answer is not to try to change our behaviors. See, what we've been trying to do is to change humanity's behaviors, but behaviors are not going to change unless beliefs change. So you can take behavior mod, what they call behavior modification, throw it out the window as a first step, because it's not the first step. The first step is what I call belief mod. We have to change our beliefs about who we are, why we're here, the purpose and the function of life itself, and who God is, for those of us who believe in God, which is eight out of ten people, who God is in relationship to us, and what God wants, and what God demands, and what God does if he doesn't get what she demands. So we have to change our beliefs. When and if we change our beliefs, then our behaviors will change because behaviors simply reflect our beliefs. And when our our behaviors change, our experience will change. When our experience changes, our reality will change. And that's how we change the world, by changing our beliefs. And here's the fundamental belief, to use a well-chosen word, that we have to change. We believe in the notion of separation, we have accepted the idea that we are separate entities, individual little entities out here on the earth. And the idea of separation means that we are separate from God, separate from each other, separate from life itself in a metaphorical way. I mean, it's out there and we're over here. And that separation is what causes us. To do what we do, because after all, it's us against the world. I have to do what I need to do to get what I need to get. And if that means I have to hurt you to get it, I'm sorry, but that's just how it is. But if we decided to set aside our idea of separation, to realize that we are all one, that there really is only one of us.
3: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: Then we would treat each other the way we would like to be treated. We would finally decide, in fact, to follow the golden rule, even if we disagreed with someone else, even if someone else did something to hurt us, even if someone was attacking us, we would decide, wait a minute, maybe he was right. There was a guy who was walking around here a few years ago who said to us, bless,
4: bless, bless your enemies and pray for those who persecute you
2: and do good to those who would do you evil. And when a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. And when a man steals your coat, Give him your
4: shirt as well. And when a man asks you to walk one mile with him, go with him twain. And raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness
2: that you might know who you really are and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well.
1: Neil, there's, uh, there's something going on in our world today and there seems to be a shift. I've talked about it on the show multiple times. Well, shift happens. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> shift happens. So um, the, the world seems to be going a little bit nutty at this point between environmental, political, economic, the pandemic. There's so many things happening to the world that we're all feeling at the same time, which is a unique aspect to this. It's not like just one country having an issue or another thing over here. The entire world's feeling it at the same time. I mean, the whole world shut down for a year almost, Um, like for a couple months, literally the world shut down. So what do you think is happening right now what are we
2: it's called the overhaul of humanity i've written a book about this the book was written in 2011 it was very prescient it was a book that was way ahead of its time but the book is called the storm before the calm okay play on words we're used to hearing about the calm before the storm but the book was called the storm before the calm in which i predicted not in specific terms but this particular kind of experience And the book calls it the overhaul of humanity, that we are in for an overhaul, not the destruction of humanity, any more than the overhaul of an engine destroys the engine. In fact, it repairs the engine and makes it work better than ever before. But we are undergoing the overhaul of humanity. That book in 2011 described the overhaul of humanity and talked about how we can move through that process in a way that could stop it from in fact destroying us and allow it to be the process by which we recreate ourselves anew in the next grandest version of the greatest vision ever we held about who we are. So that's what we're going through. And when we see it as our golden opportunity. To use these events to recreate ourselves and our society and our civilization. In the grandest thought we ever had about what it's like to be human, then we can resolve that which separates us and produce the outcomes for which we have yearned. What will it take? As I said a moment ago, idea heroes, enough people saying the same thing, not just let's stop these behaviors, but let's look at the beliefs that have created these behaviors and see if we can change those beliefs. When we not enough, have enough idea heroes to produce that message, then the first domino will fall. And once the first domino is tipped over, the rest of the dominoes will follow. But that's how, my dear Alex, all civilizations, not just those that have existed throughout human history on this planet, but all civilizations in the cosmos, and of course there are many, There's intelligent life in the cosmos, not here, but elsewhere in the cosmos, there is intelligent life. And and that's how all civilizations have ultimately evolved through a series of experiences like we're having now, through a series of, if you please, overhauls, where the entire society stopped what it's doing and looked at itself and said, really? I mean, really? Is this the best we can do? Or is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, and about ourselves, the understanding of which would change everything.
1: Is that why we are so entrenched in our tribalism, in our separation that we need to separate ourselves from others i mean what is the cause of that and what can we do to- because we're
2: afraid we're going to use our individuality see we, we hang on to the idea of separation because if we think that we're all one we think we're going to be you know homogenous that we're going to lose our individuality The and ego, we, we, yeah we, well the ego has gotten a bad rap Actually, I was told in conversations with God that ego is being given a bad rap. Ego run amuck is one thing, but ego in and of itself serves us. It helps yep. us to see ourselves as other than but not separate from each other. And when I asked God to explain that for me, I said, "God, come on, I have kind of a pea brain here. I'm just a little guy down here. Help me understand." God said, all right, hold up your hand. So okay, God said, "Now look at your fingers." I said, okay, what about them? She said, are they identical? I said, no, they're not identical. She said, you mean they're different from each other? I said, yeah, they're individual. They all have separate appearances, separate functions. She said, but are they separate from each other? Or are they part of the same hand? I said, well, well they are. They are part of the same hand. And she said, and is the hand part of the same body? Yeah, well, the hand is part of the body. Oh, so individuality does not mean separation. I see, I see.
4: God said, well, then would you do me a favor? Give me a hand here. God
1: has a fantastic sense of humor. (laughs)
2: And a great way to play with words.
1: Oh, wonderful! That's what I loved about your books, the 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 the, the way God presents it's, itself in the books is so unlike another representation, other representations of God that we've ever heard. As we've discussed in this in this conversation, where you know the, the you know the angry God, the vengeful God, all this this God was so loving and joyful and happy and. And answer the questions and was snarky at sometimes and it was just like it was wonderful it was just a wonderful way of, of, of approaching uh, this subject matter that Well
2: God said to me, I will talk to you in your own language I will speak to you as you speak to each other maybe now you'll be able to hear me
1: now, where can people uh, pick up, when's, when's your new book, God's Solution, uh, out and available, and where can people find out more about you? And-
2: well, the book has been out for a while, but they, okay. I, I'm making copies of it available at, uh, for free. Uh, they can just download the book on their computer, or on their iPad, or even on your phone. Mm-hmm. You can download the book at no cost. All you have to do is go to my webpage, neildonaldwalsh.com, and there you should find a link that allows you to download. Um, and if you don't find it there, just write me a, a note. Say, just write a neil at neildonaldwalsh.com. Send me an email, neil at neildonaldwalsh.com. you got to spell the name right, though. The internet is unforgiving. One letter out of place, <laughs> and the, the email will not get to me. So l- look at how my name is spelled. It's all over the internet. You can't miss it. Mm -hmm. then send me a note neil at neildonaldbosch.com i want a free copy of your book and i'll send you a link by return mail you'll get it within 24 hours and you can download the entire book to your computer without spending a dime
1: now neil i'm going to ask you two questions That's how
2: important by the way excuse me yes go ahead one one last pro script please that's how important i think the message is I think I I want you to have this message in your hand without having to spend a nickel to get it there. Just do me a favor, read the book and pass it on.
3: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: Now I'm going to ask you, Neil, two questions. I ask all of my guests. What no, means? absolutely not.
2: I can't tell you. How many times a week do you have sex? Why would you ask a question? I like
1: mean, I, I, was, I was always curious. Uh, <laughs> what is your mission in this life?
2: I have a three part mission that I was given, if you please, invited to accept in the Conversations with God dialogue. Part one, Neil. Go out there and change the world's mind about God.
4: Two, kneel, go out there and give people back to themselves. Three, kneel, go out there and awaken the species.
2: So that's my raison d'etre. As the French would say that's my reason for being and that's what I do virtually every day of my life this is one of three interviews I've done today alone
4: mm-hmm.
2: three one-hour interviews on just this single day I do about 15 or 20 uh, a week in some weeks and uh, I'm constantly sharing with people what it is that's been shared with me
1: And last question, what is the ultimate purpose
2: of life? To announce and declare, to express and fulfill, to become and to experience who you really are. To step into the demonstration of your true identity. To know yourself as an aspect, an individuation of divinity in demonstration. Not conceptually, not, yeah, I have a concept that God and I are one or whatever. No, as a demonstration, as an actual expression, or to put it in one word, evolution. We are here to evolve to the next grandest level of who we really are. It's really quite simple. The agenda of the soul is really quite simple. We've come into physicality, from the realm of spirituality, that we might express, not simply simply know, but express who we really are. And the reason we've done it in the realm of physicality, as opposed to the realm of spirituality, is that in the realm of physicality, we've created a contextual field, where the opposite of what we are exists. Because if the opposite of what you are did not exist, What you are could not be experienced. To make it simple, let's say you are the light, just just as a metaphor. I am the light. But I want to experience myself as the light. I don't want to just know myself as the light. I want to have an expression of it so it can flow through me as me. And I can say I've actually expressed it and demonstrated it. But you can't demonstrate who you are in the absence of what you are not. Therefore, if you think here's a light, you will create in your life the darkness so that you can be the light in the face of the darkness. Therefore, judge not and neither condemn, but be a light unto the darkness that you might be who you really are. I could, of course, be wrong about all of this,
1: but I don't think so. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you for your message and all the amazing work you've done over the years and, and for putting this into the world. It desperately needs it now more than ever, so I appreciate you, my friend, and thank you so much for everything. I,
4: I...
2: Thank you, Alex, for having me. It's been lovely to be here with you.
1: I really want to thank Neil so much for coming on the show and sharing his message of love and awakening with us today. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including his new book, The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love, and gain access to his free masterclass, The Path Towards Self-Awakening, all you need to do is go over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash zero eight two. And if you want to go directly to his master class, it's nextlevelsoul.com forward slash Neil N-E-A-L-E. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube.
3: Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.